welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Next up on the ABCA podcast is Troy University head coach Skylar Mead. Mead is heading into his second season as head coach of the Trojans. Mead led Troy to a 32-win season and appearance in the Sun Belt Conference Tournament semifinals last year. Mead spent 14 years as an assistant coach with stops at South Carolina, Michigan State, Middle Tennessee State, and Eastern Illinois. Mead played collegiately at Louisville and led the Cardinals to a CWS appearance senior season in 07. Mead is highly regarded in the baseball industry as an elite pitching coach and recruiter. Let's welcome Skylar Mead to the podcast. All right, here with Skylar Mead, uh, second season head coach at Troy, but stops at South Carolina, Michigan State, Middle Tennessee, Eastern Illinois, played at Louisville. So Skylar, thanks for jumping on with me. Absolutely. Excited long, to be on here. Longtime friend. It's good to get Absolutely, a friend on. Absolutely, man. I'm, I remember all the cold indoor baseball camps we used to do, and I'd be running over there with pitchers doing whatever I was doing. You'd have infielders throwing for an hour. Yeah. Guys' arms are hanging. Uh, Coach Brownlee made me throw too much. Like, hey, man, you want to be a good fielder, you better learn to throw. <laughs> the good old days. Uh, yeah, and that this is a pressing question. No, no left-handed catchers, because this is an inside joke of, of yours and I's goes way back. I, no doubt. Uh, hey, listen, I, I, don't, I don't know if we even talked about this, but after uh, I was catching last year in our conference tournament and I wore 91 off the face that when I, when I missed it, I think – I think that may have ended my campaign for lefty catchers after after making that mistake. And thankfully, I didn't lose all my teeth. I got a little Tom Brady here in the chin now from it, but I survived. How'd you miss it? Did you whiff it? So it was funny. The kid who was throwing really, he was a really good freshman for us. One of our weekend guys. Now we, I was like, hey, Grayson, I know you struggled the last week. Let me catch you. Let's do a let's do a ten pitch reset. So we had this little plan and. We were practicing at AUM, Auburn University of Montgomery, and it's kind of a weird background, and it's funny how things, like you you remember, we had a, a senior closer, really like sharp kid named Marquez Oates, and the first ball I caught, I kind of just like ducked my head. Just I just didn't see it great, but I caught it. It was fine, whatever. And he says, hey, do you want me to stand behind? Like, it looked like you didn't see that one well. I said, no, 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 I'm good. It was just the first one. 
So he throws his pitches, breaking ball here, change here, heater here. And the last pitch, I, I said, hey, rise fastball. You're going to need this thing on, you know, the first game against Coastal. And, man, right when he threw it, I had my hand right here, you know, just triggering up, and I never saw it. I never saw it hit right here. Lip explodes, the whole deal. And uh, have you I, caught I since then? Immediately, you know, what's that? Have you caught since then? I have. I now I wear a mask every time because my wife yells at me. But I, and that's uh, why I knew you're going to be good. You know, we're 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 in spring break. You're at Eastern Illinois, and you're warming your guys up. And I'm like, okay, this guy's got it because I like to doing the same thing. I like to getting back there and catching guys. But I saw you. You had a left-handed catcher's mitt on. I was like, yeah, this guy's got it. I well, I tell you what, I I, I have done a little bit less of it, but. I tell you, I may uh, I may have to get back in there a little bit this week and get some guys right. But I, it, like you said, though, I, I think there's nothing better for players when they know that like you're in there with them. And and aside from that part, like I always felt just generally like I really do see what you know. Hey, how is the rotation on the breaking ball? How does it appear potentially to the hitter? And I felt like I garnered a lot from that. I know everyone last my last year at South Carolina in 21, I would not let anyone else catch the bullpens. I would catch the bull. You know, we got Will Sanders, first rounder, Mahoney, and all these guys. But I like to get back there just because I needed to see that visual. So arm speed. I've scaled too. back. A I, little I just bit. liked it from art. You can see arm speed on off speed stuff. I just liked getting back there because you can see a lot, lot more back there, especially from a hitter's view too. You know, it's good to get back there and take a look at it, as long as you're not getting hit in the face. As long as you're not getting hit in the face, you'd be correct on that. <laughs> Hey, what is it about like year 14 or 15 as an assistant where you kind of get that itch as maybe time to take over a program? Man, that's a good question. I, you know, I, I've always, and, and I wasn't naive when I started coaching at 22. Like I, I myself had always had aspirations of being a head coach. Some some people do, maybe some don't, or some think they do and then they don't. I, I always had that aspiration, but I kind of always said in the back of my mind and, and to people kind of in my like close circles, like, you want to find a like a, the right opportunity. Um, obviously, you have to do a great job as an assistant. And I always focused on the job I had every day for 14 years. I wasn't like out seeking different things. But for me, as some certain things, maybe like you hear about or you get asked about, there wasn't anything that necessarily felt right or that maybe like got the juices going until this job in the summer of 21. And so when uh you know when this thing kind of got going uh the first time i got a call from brent jones our athletic director and you start hearing his vision and you dig into troy and i knew about troy because i was in the Sun Belt with him in 2013 at middle and they were really good that year they won 41 games in 2013 and uh, bobby pierce had them going you got to see the fan support here and, and things of that nature and so i, I kind of had an inkling that this would be a, a a dream first head coaching job and it's been nothing but that since I got it in July of 21 and we've tried to hit the ground running and, and, and do the very best we can to make, make Troy a, a national brand. And, and hopefully I think people are taking notice of what we've done so far. How long has the stadium been there? Cause I, I watched a little bit of your games against Evansville. You guys got after Evansville that weekend. Well, and that's not what I remember Troy being, you know, we were down there, I think in maybe Oh five or Oh six when I was with Iowa and it looks completely different. Yeah, I mean, this project that we have, I mean, it's 13 plus million dollars. So to kind of give you an idea, every seat that you saw, you know, on, on TV, everyone, every one of them is now chair back. You know, it's a little under 2000 chair back. 
what you would see. And, and I'm not sure of some of the perspectives of the TV. Our, our TV views are pretty good here to see like the whole stadium and it's, uh, to, you know, totally. But up top, our new offices will go up on the third base side. Of course, there's TV press row, uh, game day operations. Our chancellor will have a suite. And then on the first base side, there's a diamond club, which essentially is like donors and, and things of that nature. It's like bar style setup, TVs in the back. Um, those are it's funny actually being gone for a week i looked up and a lot of those have made tremendous progress over even just the last you know six seven days but all of that will be done by the end of this summer the new scoreboard will go in before next year and then we're doing renovations the office i'm sitting in will become a meeting meeting slash media room and then we'll renovate our locker rooms downstairs so it's a full-fledged project the stadium itself has actually been here for a while at riddle pace um it's really cool. It's the first thing you see when you get on campus. You, you may remember that from your, your time here. You come, you know, right off the main drag, which is 231, which is a major highway that goes kind of straight down. But you hop off and, you know, right right when you look left, you see, you know, Troy University. And the first thing you see is the baseball field. And, and so we're very fortunate that, you know, from our chancellor, you know, Dr. Hawkins, who's been here over 35 years, to our AD, Brent Jones. Like, when I was interviewing in this process, I knew this vision. Um, I knew that this was something that was going to happen. Now to actually see it almost totally come to fruition is pretty cool. Do you have a favorite spot as an assistant? God, that's a good – you know, it's funny. All of them have a, a certain spot. I'm not saying that just to be like uh, – different. All, all different if you will. I mean, you're at different but, places along the way. I mean, I was 22 years old, and I was a pitching coach, and I could recruit at a Division One school at Eastern Illinois. and. And heck, my first two years there, we won, you know, we won our league, won 10 state tournament, which was like kind of crazy. Like I had just played in Omaha in 2007 as a player. And then I'm coaching in a Nebraska regional in 08. Like it was wild. Like you couldn't make that up. Um, but just to get the opportunity that, you know, Jim Schmitz, I mean, I was 22 and you're like, hey, go coach the pitchers. Like that's that's crazy that, you know, I had that responsibility. Middle Tennessee State, I worked for who I think is arguably the greatest person and baseball just i mean jim mcguire was just amazing and that middle tennessee was um in a transition going from the Sun Belt to conference usa even as a school it had been going through a large transition and growth murfreesboro was a town that was 65 70 thousand people in like 2005 i mean you look at murfreesboro now it's almost 200,000 people you know and a lot of that i know is nashville spillover but the reality is you were in a really cool booming area um got to coach some really talented players uh, it was it was short lived. I got mar married during that time, um, so those two years were fun. Michigan State was a, a thing where I loved my time being a Spartan. It was really cool. You got really like ingrained in everything from the other coaches. How you know Coach Izzo was, Coach D'Antonio. Um, you know they were very like involved. We had an athletic director who was off the charts and very innovative, and we had a lot of success during my time there. Um, you know, being ranked multiple times, uh, you know, the games we won, having, you know, pitching staffs that were successful and players to go on. And um, a lot of them, and I say a lot, multiple guys, you know, in the in the big leagues. And then, you know, you get to go to that animal that is the SEC at South Carolina. And I think that's a dream for anyone uh, to go there. And look, I'm, we're in the Sun Belt. It's one of the probably four best leagues in the country, but there's no mistaking what the best league is. It is the SEC. And so, to get to do that for four years, uh, really three and change with the COVID, but to get to experience that, and, you know, you play those big time weekend series, whether it be at home or on the road, you know, going in there to Arkansas in front of 14,000 people and, 
you know, having to compete at the highest level against the best players that college baseball has was a lot of fun. Um, you know, I loved it. The, I don't look at it this way, but like the, the pressure cooker that it is and, and how every game is overanalyzed and dissected and, you know, the fans and the roller Message coasters. Boards. Like, oh, it's, it, it, I think if you're weak-minded, you can get very exposed in, in that. And so I loved it for me. I think it was massive preparation to, to what I'm doing now, which is being a head coach and being able to take those good days and bad days and stay steady. You know, it's what I'm, it's what we're going through even now, as you and I were talking pre, you know, pre-recording this, right? World's great. You're number eight in RPI, you're rolling. Well, guess what? We had a bad week. It happens. It's baseball. You're never going to roll, right? Alabama football is always going to be more talented than whom they play. So therefore they win most of the time. Baseball, it's not that way. There's elements, there's your starter, there's injuries that, that factor into things that you just have to overcome and stay the course. And so, um, but I loved all four of my spots. I really did. Um, you know, the one thing I think that was funny, I've told people and we were watching the game on the bus yesterday. I got, I, I did get attached a little bit to Michigan state basketball and kind of what they do. And so I've that, said that it a of, lot when Jackson, my son was growing up, Michigan state was the one team when they would come to Iowa city, I wanted him to go watch because of how hard they played. They've always oh, played hard. They, they most certainly do. And I mean, there's a reason is was a legend in, in terms of what he's done. So, uh, I did have a good time, you know, seeing that part, but just as I had a great time, South Carolina with the sandstorm entrance that they have for football and, and things like that. So you take many memories and a million different things. What's great for me is everybody that I worked for or worked with, I stay in contact with. And those are people that are, you know, close to my circle that you talk to when things go good, when they don't go good. And so I feel very fortunate in that regard. And how much did you lean on the Louisville staff then? You know, you get your GA job and that's a great staff. I mean, they get there, you know, you're, you're on your way out, but that's a phenomenal staff to lean on from a pitching coach with Roger Williams, you know, recruiting with Lamonis. Like, I mean, it was a perfect storm for you, those guys showing oh. up and, and then getting a coaching job. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it's funny, like what, what had happened actually is we finished playing in Omaha and uh, Coach Mack and I talked about if I, if I didn't continue attempting to play, um, hey, like, you know, you want to stay here and, and be a GA? Well, the rules had changed in 2007. And so you you had some limitations. You could be a GA or go into it if you were the second assistant like I did at Eastern Illinois. Well, at Louisville, of course, we had, like you said, Chris Limonis, Roger Williams. And so there, the spot was different and you couldn't do that any longer. So I remember Coach Mack called me into my office two days after Omaha. He's like, hey, man, I messed up. These rules are different. How can I help you essentially? And he knew what I wanted to do. And so we just kept our eyes and ears open and a fortunate twist of fate, you know, coach Schmitz had, had called coach Mack and they were connected through a guy named Rocco Bellantoni, who was the defensive coordinator for football at Eastern Illinois rock and Mack grew up together in New York and have been best friends for, I don't know, probably 45, 48 years. And so that conversation led to me talking to Schmitz, which led to me getting that job. So, of course, the Louisville guys were all very, you know, very tight. Um, but what Coach Mack's done for me, I talked to Coach Lamonis, and he's been a massive advocate for me, you know, many times. Roger Williams, I don't think there's a better coach of talent in the history of, of college baseball. What he can do with a guy that's got skill and then for him to take that skill and make it, honestly, a, a big leaguer, 
is, is unprecedented. I just think he's so impressive and so steady and he's done it for so long and been so consistent that, yeah, you can't ask to have a better group of guys to have been coached by for, you know, one year, you always wish it was longer, but in the end, I think everything happens for a, for a reason. You learn different things from whom you play for, you know, whether it be three years, four years, assistant coaches, you just take it all together and join it. And it's probably all part of like now my like DNA as a coach. Okay, you get the pitching staff. Okay, it's yours, Eastern Illinois. I mean, where did you start? Because you're coming from straight out of playing. I mean, where was the first place you started? Well, I certainly, I, I guess there was things that, number one, just in terms of like managing and taking care of a staff from a physical perspective, I felt like I had a, a decent idea because, um, you know, I got hurt pretty bad in college. I had had my whole shoulder reconstructed and um, I got hurt in March of 05 did not get to play again until February of 07. Um, so I did feel number one, just being healthy and being available was something that if I could at least lend some knowledge to a group of pitchers on that, number one, that would be great. Also, I did want to keep things at least simple in what we're approaching. Yeah, there's a lot of things we got to learn and do, but we really, really emphasized, you know, our throwing, our long tossing, um, the things that were controllable, you know, having a strong front side, landing clean. Like I know it sounds so vanilla and boring in nature, but it's what it's what we built our foundation on. And then, you know, I think once you do all those things, you garner a lot of confidence. And then you, you know, you learn the art of pitching. You start to throw your breaking ball harder. You start to learn how to implement your changeup. That was kind of the starting point where where I was fortunate was, you know, Sean Lyons had recruited some talented guys. The first staff I walked into. Um, we were really young and really new, but there was talent. And so they just needed, you know, some direction. And, and fortunately, they were able to, to follow in that. And we were able to have a lot of success and a lot of those guys move on. Um, but I did try to keep things really simple. And the thing that, and I, we kind of touched on it at first, I never, of course, I am their coach and have to, you know, keep people in line, but I didn't, I don't coach to have authority. I coach because I like to connect with people. And I love the ability to go out on a given day and win and lo win or lose. Losing sucks. I hate it like anyone, but I like that we have that ability and coaching provided that to me. And so I never went about it like, hey, I'm going to coach so that I have authority or power to tell you something. And I think people knew that, uh, even though there was players that were as old or older than me, they knew that I was just, hey, man, I'm just in the foxhole with you. Let's do anything and everything we can to be better. And if we do that together – don't take anything personal. You you know that we're trying to get the best out of you, uh, point blank. Yeah, Michigan State, you know, you and I coached at colder weather places. Did you manage pitch count early in the year any different? Maybe because they're inside a little bit more and maybe not able to get out as much. I know Big Ten facilities, you're able to stretch it out. But did you manage their pitch count much different than what you are now in some warmer weather places? You know, no, that's a really good question. I I would say I think it was a little different, but I think maybe for different reasons per se. I think if you look back to let's just say Michigan State, you know, so which is 15 to 17 for me, I think there was a little bit because there's something different to be said for when you're outside than than maybe inside, you know, throwing live in cages and stuff like that. And look, the Big Ten has amazing facilities. So I mean you get to be very prepared. I think you're I think what you see with northern teams many times, how disciplined they are because of the constraints that you have sometimes with the weather and being inside. But where I think things have maybe slightly changed just a smidge is you look back eight, nine years ago, 
there was still a little bit of the, hey, there's different shutdown periods. We rest the arm. And now that's changed a lot. I, I attribute a lot of it. I remember in 20, it was 15 or 16, a Max Scherzer article talking about his offseason throwing. And I had a buddy who was in the big leagues and is really close with him at the time. And he had started changing his offseason throwing. And so now you kind of change how rest periods are. Rest periods are still active movement, a little bit of throwing. Yeah, it's not, you know, hyper intense, but you throw more. And because of that, I think the length that guys go into the season with is a little different. Now, what does that mean? I think at Michigan State, the opening weekend, my first year, I think I had guys where I'm like, hey, man, you're about 70, 75 pitches. Now the first weekend, they're like 85. It's not that different in nature. But it is a little bit more. But I, I don't know if it's for the reasons of the weather. It's probably more now just the transition and how we're training the arms a little bit. Um, because I think we saw some of the negatives that maybe were going on from people going totally cold turkey. So I hope that answered your question. I know yeah, it's, no, no. It's, yeah, yeah, you hit it. It's a little bit of both, which is kind of it, – it, It's I think it's just an evolution like we see in everything. You know, it's – it's like when certain pitches come back, the cutter got real popular for a while. Change-ups are coming back. Like two seams were out. Now two seams are back a in. Sweeper's like, a sweeper's a slurve, right? A, a sweeper. <laughs> they're calling it. A, it's a slurve, correct? That's what the sweeper correct. is? Yes. Yeah, that's it. That's all it is. So everything, you know how it is, man. Everything's cyclical. How how long, how much are they going at it in the fall? Are, are you stretching guys out in the fall? Or are you treating it just like the spring when you're inter-squadding or you're playing somebody else? Are you letting your starters go a little bit longer? Because I think I've seen that a little bit more in the fall too is where guys are maybe going a little bit longer. I have not. And, and it's one of those things I, I, I debate uh, with myself or even just talking to you know other coaches or, or, or my staff for that matter. I have not like this past fall, we didn't have any of our guys go beyond three. Um, I don't know if that's right or wrong. Uh, some of it's based on your clientele and what they do. You know, we had a, we had a really good lefty arm, for example, who we weren't sure is he a starter? Is he a reliever? But he also went in Juco and threw like 70 innings and he threw another 25 in the summer. That's also probably 15 in the preparation of the season. And so we never, we never went beyond two with him. Is that right or wrong? I don't, I don't know, but I just I sit there sometimes in the fall and you get that 45 day window. We're fortunate here at Troy. It's warm. So we go, you know, this year we went September 25th to November 10th. I, I look at it in the sense of I need to see him compete. I need to learn some things. But do I want to learn that in a 75 pitch setting or do I want to learn that in a 35 and then still have the ability to work and control rather than their whole week being about recovery? So I. I don't know, you know, how I may alter. I still think uh, maybe looking forward, I may extend a little bit more, but maybe not as much as some others uh, do at times. But that doesn't make what they're doing wrong. It's just maybe a bit of a personal preference because I still want that ability. If we throw a guy on Monday in a game, let's say he throws three innings and he goes, you know, 47 pitches. I can work with him Wednesday. His arm will be, you know, recovered enough where we can start work. Hey, man, let's, let's get the hand on the baseball a little bit more. Let's all right, I'm not, I don't want to go hard on the cutter here, but let's throw 10 in a flat. Let's get that thing. Whereas if he throws 75, 80 pitches, he may be banged up till Friday. And we really just, all we did was get stronger and maybe more mobile Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So with a guy like that, where you're not sure in the fall, you know, what, what his role is going to be, did you then start him some inner squads and then throw him out of the bullpen in some inner squads? Yes. We actually try to do that with all the guys. Um, it's kind of a similar concept. And I, I, I I'm not sure. I, I, I bet you did this. 
I know Coach Wolgamon here likes to do it. We try to move around our infielders, just different spots. Yeah, we may be like, hey, like Johnny over here is going to be the shortstop. We know it, but we'll still move him around just to get some different perspective and, and some different skills. We do the same thing with our with our arms. The only alteration if it is if maybe there's a guy that we're trying to develop something from a mentality standpoint. If we go, hey, man, this guy can only be a closer. And we're going to make sure he throws the last inning of every game so that the, all eyes are on him. The day begins and ends with him, right? We may do something like that. Or if there's a guy that we think needs to be motivated as a starter, we may. But 95% of the time, we're going to try to bounce him around and see him do some different things. I mean, how much do you get a feel on a kid's personality? Because not every kid can start and not every kid can close. So how, how much do you get a feel on somebody's personality where, okay, this, this might be more his skill set from a mentality standpoint? Yeah, you know, I, I don't think you ever get that totally until you get to the season, unfortunately. It's why it's why sometimes you laugh. The, the narratives and things that we think we learn in the fall or even the preseason, none of them are right. Some of them are, but um, – I do like, I, I will say, you know, getting the ability to play some outside competition, I think just even that change of pace sometimes can show you a thing or two on, on some guys, which is nice. Um, you know, I, I remember even to just our fall game, some of the things that we did. And, and, and to be quite frank, some of the things that maybe concerned us in those little snapshots have come to fruition. Then there's also a couple of things that we had tried or we had, you know, manipulated for a couple of individuals and we go, oh, okay, this, this, this thing got better. Um, but I don't think you ever totally know until the spring. There's always, there's always guys that they get that white light fever one way or another. They, they turn into a different guy against another team or they turn into a different guy and you go, I don't, I don't like that guy. <laughs> and so it, it, it's unfortunate, but I just think you can never, create the the competition that that happens from outside opponents because in the end too like in the, i've said this at nauseam our players would laugh if they if they hear this but the easiest thing in the fall and the preseason is oh i'm i'm throwing the third and fourth oh i'm in the lineup because we're playing 18 20 guys they know they're playing but then when like you said when we played evansville first game of the year well, there's only nine guys in the lineup and right now one guy has the ball in his hand and so when you look at it like that, it, it does kind of change the dynamic a little bit. And you also need to move guys around in the fall, too, because you never know with injuries. Like the, the last thing you want to do is, is throw a kid somewhere where he hasn't been in, you know, six months, seven months, especially with your new guys. So you're prepping for just hopefully injuries don't happen, but they do. So, you know, you're kind of prepping to just in case we've got to move some guys around for injuries. Yeah, absolutely. Because. Uh, th in, in my career, this, this year is the most injuries, and, and a lot of them are – they're not even of the normal – hey, you know, sometimes, hey, we have injuries, we had arms go down. Unfortunately, just it's what happens in this day and age. Ours aren't so much of that. We've had a lot of things that are – you know, we got a guy with a, a non-throwing arm injury who's a pitcher. You know, we, we had a foul tip, broken thumb. We got a hammy. We, we unfortunately had a guy get hit with a line drive. We just had weird things. And uh, as you said, you just – you can't prepare for that. That's why depth is paramount in, in college baseball. And, and that's why recruiting is still the lifeblood of any program. You have to have players. It's, it's still like Coach Tang said of Kansas State basketball yesterday. You got to have dudes. If you get dudes, if you get enough of them and you have the dude and then a backup dude and another backup dude, okay, you'll find a way. 
Uh, it's when you get thin and, and guys are asked to do maybe more than they're capable of at that given time. That's when you can run into problems. Are you still recruiting as much as you did as an assistant now that you're head coach? I, I, I am. My wife sometimes gets mad about that, but I, uh, I just think that, well, I don't think I know this. I mean, I got this job uh, because of really two things. I've been fortunate enough to have a lot of success as a pitching coach and people know that I recruit and, and will work and, and everybody works, but you know, I, I, I'm fortunate to have connections in a million different spots and I'm not afraid to, whether it be hop on a plane or ride in a car and go somewhere, you know, I mean, you look a couple of weeks ago, the first day that you could recruit, we played, you know, UAB won a tough battle, long game game took way too long. Uh, get home at like 1130 at night. I'm in the car at, you know, 6.30 a.m. driving to Mississippi to go watch Juco games all day, you know, four-hour drive, no reception, back roads. Um, and I'm doing that because I know that we have to keep getting players and um, I'm not going to change. Like, I've never – I've not changed as a head coach. I was, you know, I was an assistant and I'm, I'm still myself. I don't do anything different. The only difference is is I have to be the one to stand up in front of the room and, and give the messages of good, bad, and different and, and whatnot. But – I've not changed my DNA, and so I'm certainly not going to change how I recruit. And and I was going to ask you that. You've always been a high-energy coach. I mean, has that been with you forever? Yeah, I, I just – someone – and it's funny. We, you talk about Coach Lamonis. One of the things he said to me just initially in coaching, and then he – you know, the day I got the job here, I remember his I remember his phone call vividly. He said, hey, man, I met when I met you, when he met me, Okay. This is a, this is a little funny story. It's it'll come full circle, but I was coming off shoulder surgery and I was just trying to find a way to like find myself, you know? And so I I was about 15 months out, new coaching staff got hired at Louisville and uh, I was, I was rehabbing. I would work at a hotel from 4am to noon every day. Then I would rehab and I would lift. And then laughable, I got into tennis that year because I played tennis right-handed. So it didn't mess up my arm. I played tennis every night with a group of people from six to eight, and then I would rinse and repeat. So anyways, I was in our facility at Louisville uh, on a Friday night. It was like 11 at night and uh, I was doing a throwing session and I had a hitting dummy set up. I had a, a thing of 60 baseballs and, I'm throwing into a wall and the wall thuds really loud. Well, it's 11 at night. So I don't think anyone's, you know, around. So I could care less about the sound. Well, as I'm throwing, I hear a door open and I'm like, Oh my God, like who's coming in here? Like, is it like some maintenance person? And this guy walks in and he's got a big smile and bright white teeth. I'm like, and I don't know our new coaches. I've, I met coach McDonald the day before, but I don't know him. So I don't know our other guys. This is, you gotta remember, this is pre-Twitter. You don't know how everyone looked, you know? And this guy look, walks right up, 11 o'clock at night, says, you have to be Skyler. And I'm like, yeah, how'd, how'd you know? He said, well, if someone was doing dumb stuff at the facility late at night, heard you, you know, heard you got a good motor. And I'm like, oh yeah, uh, yeah I guess that's a compliment. So full circle, 15 years later, I remember him telling me when I got the job, he goes, hey man, you got the job because of who you are and how you go about it. Don't change don't change for a second. And so um, that's easy for me, you know, to just be myself um, because I can live with it. You know, I've known you for a long time. You're, you're the same, you've been the same way and you're always a consistent, positive person and what you do. And I think people resonate with that because there are a lot of people and I'm not, this isn't maybe a baseball thing, but just in general that they live a roller coaster, you know? Um, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Do I, 
get down for a second after a loss? Yeah. Do I maybe ride a, a emotional high after a win? Well, of course it's human nature, but in the end, like we have to be who we are. I'm a high energy person. I love what I do. I haven't, I still haven't had a bad day in 38 years. Um, had bad moments. We all have bad moments, but I've not had a bad day. And so, um, I have to be that way because I think your players, they, they sniff, they sniff out fake really quick. Do you, you feel like that. that's what gets guys in trouble the most or any coaches is they end up changing what their strengths yes. are? Cause they feel like they have to change. I'm just not going to do that. Hey, I, like I said, I'm the same idiot that 10 months ago was wearing a fastball to the face as a head coach having Gary Gilmore laugh at me at home plate saying, well, you're something, man, <laughs> you know, so I just, I'm going to be that way. I, I, I used to have a joke when I first started coaching. I was like, I want to, I want to be the best athlete on the field time about 58, you know? So. Well, I always remember I you and my, Spencer, we'd be working those winter camps and you and Spence, Spencer Allen would be doing those hit workouts. I'd be trying to just get something in and you guys would be going <laughs> at it with your hit workouts. Yeah, no, man. Hey, Spencer's an animal in that weight room, man. He, uh, but you know, in the end, man, like that's like who, that's who I am. That's probably something that just is in your DNA as a person. And I feel like I, it sounds like way more than it is, but I'd be doing a disservice to myself if I acted any different, you know? And if you ever have a moment of that, you have to catch yourself, you know, you have to catch yourself. Um, you know, I, like all coaches or people go through, Hey, we had a rough week. I got back last night. You know, what, what did I need to do? I was hanging out with my wife. We got back at a decent time. I was sitting there eventually you kind of catch yourself in a la la land you go hey i need something aside from sports and you put on a show you decompress for 28 30 minutes boom you get yourself reset yeah i was going to ask you what are your kind of go-tos there to to kind of help good good or bad you know it, it's going to be good and bad during the season that help you kind of get ready for the next day well you know it uh i, I have two kids a seven and four year old and so obviously they can be maniacs sometimes anyone in troy could attest our kids can be not the most well-behaved at times, but uh, they're very entertaining. So, you know, getting to kind of do some things with them is fun. Uh, my wife was an athlete, so she totally gets it. I mean, she's, and she's in a high, you know, quote, high stress job. She runs a, she's president of a company called Power Solutions. So, you know, she's dealing, she's in a 98% male business as a, as a female president. So she's got different things on her plate, you know, that uh, I think relate very well to a head coach in a, in a, you know, high level program as Troy is. And so, but what we do sometimes is, is eventually like at night, you're kind of sitting there, you just got to get away, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll find a show or something that has nothing to do with sports. And, and this is the good or bad, but her, you know, she and I we're so invested most of the time on TV, we have college baseball on. Uh, we love to watch it. It's accessible any and every day, it seems like, but sometimes you need to go, you know what? Let's go throw on Ted Lasso or some other show. Shrinking's really away. good, by the way. If, if you haven't watched Shrinking, that's uh, Jason Siegel and Harrison Ford. It's so hilarious. just watch the ninth episode. It's hilarious. I think it's one. I think that show's going to win a lot of awards. I was just yes. having a conversation with it's really Chris smart. About it. So oh, funny. So, and Harrison, it's laugh out loud funny. God, so Harrison funny. Ford's so good in that. Yes. <laughs> But that's what that's what we do. That's what you have to do. I can only stare at video so much. I have a note sheet right here of a million things. These answers, they're going to be there. They're, you know, you got to just sometimes go, hey, man, 
I got to take a TO. It's like hoops, man. It's like Coach Izzo does. You got to call a 20 second timeout sometimes. And that's, that's how you're going to get yourself back to, uh, back to, uh, ground zero. Have you picked up anything from her? I mean, she basically head coaches now are CEOs. Have you picked up anything from her on the business side that maybe has helped you on the coaching side? Um, yeah, that's, I, I, it's actually funny. One of the biggest things is just like, if you have something that, you have to do that maybe you don't want to do it's human nature to like want to be like i'm gonna wait a sec what i've kind of got from her and just like listening to you know her schedule or her uh like grouping of events she has on a day you know she has like conference calls or follow-ups and things of that nature i try to make sure that like i immediately attack things to get any burden of things like off your shoulders as fast as you can um and i think when you do that and i'm not telling you i'm perfect i i'm not batting a thousand on it but when you when you have that mentality, I, I think you feel better about, you know, going through the whole day because you've, you've actually accomplished something. And, and it, it, it's kind of like, I call it a to did list. Like, yeah, yeah exactly. Check off stuff you did. Like, I, I think when you see that, okay, I had a list of things that I need to get done. And I think you just, you end up developing that, that positive mentality is like, okay, I, I maybe didn't want to do that, but I'm checking it off anyway. I got it done. I just think it, it helps huge, huge mentality. Of, of course. It's like, it's like working out like first thing in the morning, like many times just for myself, some people are better at different parts of the day. I remember it's funny. I always, uh, one of my really good buddies and I think, and I know he's, he's not in, uh, you know, coaching right now, but his, I mean, his track record was incredible, but Chad Kaye, I'd always laugh with Chad because Chad would laugh at me. I'd be like, Hey, I'm going to work out five or 6 AM. And Chad would be like, I ain't, <laughs> you know, he's like, I'll, I'll work out at five o'clock and go get his Chipotle after. But guess what? It worked for him. You know, you got to know your, you got to know yourself. And so, um, I couldn't operate that way, but he couldn't operate my way. And so you, you just have to kind of know yourself, but I, I've really learned that. I think like just watching like, you know, my wife, what she does on, on a day in day out basis. And then just also having one who, you know, she played four years college basketball at Radford. She went through ups and downs. Um, you know, I know it's different sports, but you go through the same stuff. You really do. Um, you know, that's why athletes generally flock to athletes. Uh, I don't mean so much in just marriage, but just in general, like you, you can, you can bounce things off. And that's why you'll see crisscrossing of, people who are friends in different sports. And I mean, heck here, you know, I, I talk to coach cross our basketball coach all the time. You know, we bounce things off left and right. John Sumrall, um, who had his first year as a head coach in football, like he's been great coach Rigby, who's arguably the most successful coach here on campus, won five titles in nine years with women's hoops. All these people, like they go through the same things, you know, and maybe they see a slightly different lens that I see maybe as a, as a head coach, but, you just have to you have to talk to those people because you're going to learn things even when you're not even seeking them. Was Ben your first call when you got the job as far as coming to work? Yeah, he was already uh, he was already on the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, we always knew. Um, I mean, you know how tight we are. Um, it was a very simple deal that if if it was fortunate enough to you know have this happen, uh, you know where I got a job that we were going to go in there and we're going to attack this thing together and. Uh, and, and that's what happened. And, and so it was really, you know, a simple deal. Our kids are friends, his wife, Maggie, and my wife, Jess are incredibly close. They do things all the time. Um, just really fortunate. You know, my, my first coaching staff, uh, that, that I had last year, um, my, one of my other assistants, coach Godwin is a, is a 
was is a Hall of Famer here at Troy, very talented, very connected in the state. I had a, a pitching coach named Riley McCauley uh, who helped me with pitchers who actually the Phillies hired away after his first year, which I think is pretty cool. I had another uh, assistant who was a, a GA named Landon Langston who uh, the Braves hired away uh, this offseason. And so I'm actually I got my first coaching tree going out now, which is kind of hilarious. Um, but just brought in great guys. You know, my operations guy came from South Carolina. He was one of our managers and I just respected the hell out of what he does. And he's my operations and, uh, had a guy, you know, Drew Dickinson, who, you know, uh, tell me about a, a guy they had a Virginia named Joe Bukowski. And now he's my player development guy, like just having good people in our building, um, having people that you, you trust and you can go to bat with, like, that's what we wanted to make sure that we we created here. And I think we've done a really good job. And, and I, when I lost my guy to the Phillies last year, the first call I made was to another guy that pitched for me in Michigan State named Ethan Landon and got to lure him out of the business world. And he's got to come here and do a really good job with us. So I just I want people that I can trust, people that um, I buy into more as a person than maybe somebody that knows a certain X and O at some crazy level. Yeah, I mean, we all know our stuff, but – I want I want people that connect can connect with people because if you connect with people you'll connect with players. And I was going to ask you who's helping you with the pitching a little bit to take a little bit off your plate because that's not an easy thing to do as a head coach is to handle the pitching staff also. So I was going to ask you who's who's taking a little bit off your plate from that. Yeah, so Riley McCauley did it last year with me and he was tremendous and that's why the Phillies lured him away. Uh, I was hoping to get two years from him, but I was only able to get one. Um, but then uh, Ethan Landon now who I have. Um, he's doing, you know, a really good job. Uh, he's a, he's a great connector. He could, he's a guy that he could be, he could be a Senator if he wanted to He's sharp, you know, um, good looking, tall guy, got the ability to meet people and they immediately want to, you know, click with them. And so, um, you know, I, I, I'm sure there's times where I'll probably evolve in how I go about the head coach to handling the pitchers and, um, you know, because I know there's a different feel, whether I want to believe it or not. Sometimes there's a little different feel when the quote head coach comes around. And uh, I'm aware of that. I don't want to believe that because I don't look at myself any different. But I do understand that there are there's a different sense, probably sometimes a different heightened awareness can which can be good or bad. Right. Some guys need that. And some guys, it pressures them up a little bit. And so, um, I'm, you know, you try to find a, a balancing act of that. I would not sit here and tell you uh, that what I'm doing today is exactly how it'll go a year from now, two years, four years, eight years from now. Um, but in the end, I like, I want to still make sure that I stay attached to them because I know I'm good at it. And I, I know that that's what they need most of the time, but I also have to know sometimes you got to give a step back too. you calling that you calling pitches. I am. Yeah, I am. Are you guys using pitch com? Uh, we are, we, uh, we use the, uh, watch, uh, we use a, a game day signals watch, and then we still have the headset with the, uh, with the catcher. So essentially my left hand, I'll hit, you know, a number and boom, one, one, one fastball away while I'm in there saying, Hey, fastball away, you know? So, um, it's been great. I think that, by the way, I stole wave fastball from you. You know, we, we called it a four zone fastball yeah. or a four zone breaking ball. If we wanted it in the other batter's box, cause I stole mm -hmm. that from you. Cause it's basically a modified pitch out. Yeah, you know, absolutely. The, the catcher's yeah. basically in the other batter's box, modified pitch out. Absolutely. Yeah, we uh, we had one of those work this weekend, a little wave fastball, a little 1-3 is what we call it on our thing. And fortunately, timed it up and got the guy thrown out. So, um, yeah, it, it's uh, I think this stuff is good, this technology. Yeah, you worry sometimes because there's little glitches. It was funny when we were playing Evansville, it, 
it was we've had this weekend was cold, but we've only had one cold weather game this year, and it was the opening night. It was so windy and cold, it was tripping up our uh, watch system a little bit. So, you know, I'll use this example like my phone's in my hand, but I would look down. I hadn't even hit a number, and numbers were flashing up, and then they were flashing to the to the pitcher on their watch, and I wasn't touching anything. And I think the it was just one of those weird deals. Um, that kind of goes on where maybe like technology gets messed up in, in the weather. But aside from that, it's been a tremendous success, both for us, and I think for college baseball. And, and with the pitch clock now, I mean, you, you have to be able to get things in quicker now you have to. Absolutely. And I think the other thing it does too, I, I think it cleans up part. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's wild pitches, there's mistakes in college baseball, but I mean, think how many times, you know, a guy's doing a tap system or something and they call it in and a guy gets crossed up and, ball's flying in the backstop or it's flying in the face mask of the umpire. That's not good for anybody. Now there's no way you can mess it up. Fastball in, guy looks on here, fastball in, boom, you go out and you throw it. What do you feel like some of the other technology out there's helped change things in the last 10 years? Well, I mean, certainly just, you know, the track man and, and, and rap Soto and stuff just to allow, you know, our eyes always told us things, right. And recruiting, you could go, we can all go see a break ball go wow that thing spins pretty good and and let's be honest 99 percent of the time the the data co-aligns with that um but i i think what i think what you see is just this advanced video or advanced data it just it allows you in a uh, maybe a more detailed way of confirming things that you tell people and so you know for example we had an arm the other day that like hey man i i, I think you're dropping your arm and I know that sounds like old school, but he was a slinger guy. I'm like, I think you're getting here on the ball rather than here. And I, I'm just telling you, I see it with my eyes. We're going to look at the video. We're going to, you know, we're going to check mark it and see, well, his, his hand was about five, five and a half inches on average lower on a certain pitch. And look, that isn't, I'm not saying that to make me look smart. It, it's what we all kind of do and kind of see. But now we had the video and the track man data to confirm where that release point was exactly. It's, there's no debating. We can look at the data points and go, hey, man, this was at 10 inches when you were good. This was at 15, whatever the numbers were. And now I think it allows players to almost, I think they can, they can, they the, tr the trust is there work. a little bit more. But, not, not that they didn't trust yeah. you in the past. You just have more concrete data to be like, hey, here's exactly what it is. And this is what it is. Absolutely. And don't get me wrong. You got to sometimes go, Hey man, I'm not sure on this. I don't know. I'm, I'm, let me look at it again, you know? Um, but I think sometimes there can be a little bit of a beauty in that because, Hey man, sometimes like what we're seeing, it may have nothing to do with the data points. It might be the fact that, Hey, your front shoulder comes open a little early and they just see you like, all right, how are we going to change that? Are we going to go old school with a drill to stay closed? Are we going to, are we going to move on the mound? Like, what are we going to do? Because you can have all this data and sometimes you don't have the answers. You still have to have the, the feel and, and that little Midas touch, if you will, to, to make sure you get the most out of guys. But I think all this technology is good. I don't think, I'm not one that thinks it's, there's any part of it that's bad for the game. Um, I don't think we need to obsess over every single thing. Um, but I also think it validates many of the opinions that we have, or it can, it can, uh, unvalidate something too, you know, you're like, Oh, wow. Like I, <laughs> that was not exactly what I thought, but he, okay. 
now now at least I, I have concrete evidence of what it is. When are you switching guys on the rubber? And when are you moving and, guys? I think I was an arm side biggest... guy, but I'm a throwback. I just I liked when guys were on the arm side of the rubber. I thought it cleaned I a think, lot of things up. I do too. I, it's funny. I think what I, I I will tell you this a trend I've seen, especially the last three to four years. Everybody comes in where they're on the opposite side. So righties are on the first base side, lefties are on the third base side, which is con con contrary to what you kind of were told a long time ago. But for me, when I think there's a problem, I generally look at it. Yeah, I, I mean, the fastball angle certainly plays. But where I really see it is if a guy constantly misses his breaking ball yes. to a side. Yes. And you're going, hey, man, you're missing 12 to 15 inches left, right? Yes, sir. Okay. Well, are you on the you're on the left side of the rubber? Yes, sir. Okay. Well, how, how are much you of the plate do you are you, you have none of the plate to work with? And so, are you as a righty? Are you going to throw like we were joking the sweeper slur? That well, no, coach. I throw a hard one and it bores. Okay. Well, why not throw it here? Let the hitter see it middle, and then it darts, but it's still on the plate where it can also be a strike. That to me is a big signifier of what you need to do. As well as maybe if you're a guy that doesn't have a great breaking ball, you could at least make a compelling argument that you need to be more in the middle to the arm side if maybe you're a fastball changeup guy. You could make the same argument in reverse, but I just I am amazed how many guys don't do the way that we always would talk about. I was a first base side of the rubber as a lefty. So like we did it to create a little more angle, a little more And they can know, see the opposite hitter's back foot. That, that was the thing that I, I felt like it opened up the back foot breaking ball, the back foot slider way more for guys because they could actually see the back foot and they're not going to hit guys with it then. I, I think that's a great, I think it's a great point. I, I think it's a great point. I, look, it's, baseball is a game of angles, right? Like it's like when you talk about hitters, man, if your hand's doing this, okay, you're not in the zone long. Oh, okay. I'm here. Like everything is angular in nature. And so, um, you know, I think pitchers forget that sometimes. They don't realize what a, a massive change that can create. Heck, I I remember a guy, Danny Lloyd, I had a couple years ago at Carolina, good draft pick in double A with the Orioles now. And honestly, the biggest change we made when he he was a he had good velocity, good stuff, but he had a cutter that was really good. And we just flipped sides of the rubber. Everyone's like, What'd you do with Lloyd? What we just moved on the rubber. Yeah, but what else? Come on, give me the tricks. No, we just moved on the rubber. <laughs> you know. Um, sometimes it can be the other thing it can do is you go out and you have a good outing because you change something and then that confidence spills and that one's two and that two is four and then it's it, it goes on and perpetuates and I know that's a big conversation we were having with our team uh, just over the last week or so is that what you guys sometimes forget is, is confidence breeds confidence so don't be afraid to make an alteration and once you do you'll steamroll positively with it uh, and, and have success. And then sometimes you got to fake confidence too. Like I, that's just part of it. You got to talk yourself into it sometimes. Like it's not always going to go your way. You've got to, you've got to play those mental games with yourself sometimes talk yourself through it. Oh, there's no doubt. Well, it, it's, it's the old, if I'm walking into a room to talk to the good looking girl, how do you, how should you walk in? Do you have any chance if you walk in and your shoulders are shrugged or if you walk in with, some bravado and confidence. Well, you have to do it every single time. You may get no's, but eventually you might get a yes, but you're never going to get a yes if you walk in like a bum, you know? And so I think the same thing goes for, you know, baseball and hitting. You're going to fail more times than you succeed.
So you better maximize your success as a pitcher. All eyes in the stadium are on you. I, I, I told this to a player one time, uh, an outfielder. I, we were talking about some pitchers having a little bit of ego and being selfish. And I, I said, well, they better. I said, they stand on the mound. Everyone at the game stares at them. They don't stare at the people in the outfield. No offense. Outfielders are important. They're in, totally invaluable. But they don't go there and go, dude, I was staring at left field today. You should have seen him stand. No, they talk about the pitcher. So you have to have that. You have to have that aura and that confidence uh, to go out and be successful, just as you said. And if you don't, you better fake it until you actually get it. Have you changed much with your throwing program? I love your throwing drills. I've always loved your throwing drills. Have you changed? Have you tweaked much with it, with your throwing program? Not, not the uh, bare bones of it. Um, you know, I think there's some guys a little more. And I don't know if this is just one of those cyclical things, like. Maybe it's a facility thing. Maybe it's if you have some more guys from the north, which we do have some northern arms. There's some guys that maybe aren't as keen on long tossing as much, and they want to just kind of keep it on a rope, which, hey, if you have the velocity and stuff like that, you're going out and practicing intent, like, that's fine. But, uh, no, I mean, we still emphasize the same things. We still do a lot of the, you know, heavy front side drills. We still do some balance at the end on the front foot. I think any great pitcher has front foot balance. Uh, you know, we'll do a lot of the hip angle things that, you know, we talk about the knee to shoulder angle relationship. A lot of the things that we do are, are very, very similar. Sometimes where I guess maybe I, I maybe. Hey, how do you clean this. up front foot balance? I mean, when we talk about staying good foot feet to feet, how do you clean that up if somebody's not as stable on their front foot as they need to? I think so. One of the things we started doing a couple of years ago was making them hold it for like a two or three count. And I think that you have to, let me backtrack. You obviously have to have good direction. You have to have good hip direction in terms of where you're going. And, and everyone needs a stride either straight or probably slightly closed. I know there's pitchers in the world that go open, but it's very rare. And not, I'm, it's one of those where there, yeah, there's a one, 2% who can do it. But generally speaking, most guys are slightly closed or straight on, right? But when we have our guys try to hold their finish, if their front foot is open, so if I'm a lefty going to you and I'm landing with my foot like this, I'm not going to be able to hold that finish. I'm going to, my, my groin and my hips and my hammy are going to not let me be in that balance point. But if I can land flush with a slight angle, we talk about landing at 11 o'clock as a left-hander or righty would land at one o'clock. If I can get in that position and then torque my backside through and get my hand over my lead knee or my lead quad, then I have a chance to hold that position, block my front leg, and then have balance. And so I think sometimes the the drill can expose you even more and then help you to tinker with making it right. Um, but I think that that initial like hip direction, I think guys sometimes they want to like jump into that landing. And what they don't realize is the first thing they do is they open up. And as soon as you open up, you you lose all of your power and you also lose your deception and all of those things are bad to lose. Um, it's just like a hitter, you know, if that front shoulder goes like we heard of for counter rotation, if I'm here the best and I'm counter not rotate the best, absolutely. It's like, you know, I'm not saying you're going to be like a golfer, but if, if you're not here at first movements here, you're, you're done. You're like a one spot guy. And whether that be a pitcher or hitter, like I think your direction is it's paramount in what you do using core velocity belt. So I've used it some. I haven't used it a ton, but I've had some guys. I had a guy, uh, 
couple of years ago named TJ Shook, who really enjoyed it. We had uh, uh, Brandon Jordan, two guys that are double A with the Brewers that really liked it. Um, but then there's, you know, some guys it doesn't resonate with. We, we had always done actually a variation with some Jager bands. Um, not, not exactly the same, but kind of the same concept, both, you know, pulling and creating force and then also pulling force forward. Um, but I, I think the concept's really good. And I think it really works for some people to, you know, get that energy moving in the right way. Hey, that 07 Louisville team, when did you guys know you're going to be good? <laughs> That's a really good question. I, there was a singular game in our season that we thought we were good. Um, we had, we'd had a, crowds had never been really great at Louisville. We'd moved into the new stadium in 05 and we were just okay. 06, we were just okay. Uh, they had started doing dollar, dollar beers, dollar dogs on Fridays. So we started getting bigger crowds. Then in 07, obviously we had a different feel, you know, Coach Mack had uh, perpetuated this confidence that was unique. Uh, to our group, and and we had a bunch of guys return from injury. Myself, Boomer Whiting, who led the country in steals, Chris Dominguez, who ended up being a big leaguer. Um, you know, we had some new guys who were talented. We had some guys come out of nowhere to be really good players. Um, but we had a in in April. I, I I remember we had a great crowd on Friday night, and we beat West Virginia in a really good Friday night game. We whipped them pretty good on Saturday, and then we had a real battle on Sunday, and we had to come back. And uh, I can remember. We won the game. There's a really good crowd on Sunday, which was kind of rare, if we're being honest, for that point in time in Louisville baseball. And I think it made us be like 22 or 23 and nine. And I just remember it was one of those where you say, hey, you know, I, I think we have a pretty good team. You know, I remember eating food at, at uh, Beef O'Brady's with a bunch of teammates after the game and, and guys like Zach Pitts, who was our Friday guy, and Logan Johnson, All-American second baseman, Chris Cates. Our short side and I remember like you're just going, I think I think we got enough pieces to be good. Now, did we know we were gonna make a run to Omaha and be one of the hottest teams in the country? I'm not no one, anyone that says that to you is lying. Um, because you just you don't think that way. You think very singular in nature and whatnot. Um but when we did that and then when when we went through our our regional run, I I it's kind of funny because you wouldn't think this is the case, but we beat Miami the first game. And we ended up losing the second game to Missouri. And Missouri was number three in the country. They were legit. But beating Miami, that national brand, we beat them really good the first game. I think it was one of those where we knew we could play with anyone. And so we had to come back and beat Miami. When we had beat them a second time to knock them out, that was the first time they had not gone to a Super or Omaha in 15 years. And I think that provided a, a different level of confidence as you're going through the battle that is NCAA tournament. And so, you know, we had to beat Missouri twice and won an incredible Sunday night game that will always go down, uh, I think, in, in at least Louisville Cardinal history. Uh, and then we, you know, beat the heck out of them 16-6 to on, on the Monday to go to the Super. And fortunately, we hosted. And fortunately, our team was very tough. And I've told the story many times. We won 9 nothing game one. Game two, you got – you know, almost 6,000 people in Jim Patterson Stadium. We have our closer, Tristan Magnus, who ended up pitching the big leagues on the mound. We're up three to two in the ninth inning, two outs, two strikes. You're like, you're going to Omaha, right? Like, oh, my gosh, we're going to Omaha. And he throws a pitch, and the guy hits it to left. Our left fielder, Isaiah Howes, had a 44-inch vertical, and he jumps over the wall, and it nicks his glove, nicks it, and goes out of the stadium. We lose in 14 innings. And I tell, I tell the story, and I'll probably tell our team at some point, you are 
one pitch, one second, one moment from dogpiling to, oh my gosh, we have to play another game and it might be over. And fortunately, we had a, a very, very tough group of guys who had been through a lot of things. And we went out and boat raced Oklahoma State, one twenty to two, and we, you know, flew our way off to Omaha. But um, did you have a team book I that think, year? Did you guys have? Uh, we did not have a team book that year. Um, we had a team motto. Our team motto was was Why not us? Uh, Pete Rodriguez, one of my closest friends, he he coined that phrase. Pete was our uh, was our right fielder, uh, but we did not have a team book. But Coach Mack, man, he could. He could rile you up. He could he could give some speeches. Eric Snyder always says says he's phenomenal. It's, oh, it's so good. And, and he gave you know I still think for him and he's been doing it a long time and, and gone to Omaha five times. But his most legendary speech I think when his career is set and done will be his you know pre Sunday uh, super regional you know before game three speech. And um, I won't bore you with all the details of it, but let's just say it 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 you know it was the greatest I have ever been fortunate enough to sit in and. Um, I don't think there was any chance we were going to lose and going out and winning 20 to two, I think certainly, um, signified that and how we performed. And so, uh, but once again, you know what, it's, it's, as we've talked about on this, on this podcast here, man, that's him. That was him being real. And we were ready to fight. We were ready to do anything for that guy, uh, because he, we knew he poured everything into it. And in the end, if you do that with people, business, coaching, whatever, people will rally to you. With your guys that maybe aren't getting as much time this time of year, how are you keeping them active? Well, you know, uh, of course, you know, you're you're going to work with them daily and all that. I mean, that, that's a given. But I think many times you have to just remind them that success or opportunities don't always happen overnight. And, uh, you know, last year, who ended up being our best pitcher was a six-year senior outfielder who had never pitched in college. And we told our guys that as of game 20 last year, he had thrown two innings. And when we were playing, you know, in the Sunbelt tournament last year and beating Coastal, who was ranked and going to the semis, he threw 120 pitches at 24 years old. He was an all-conference pitcher and he never pitched ever. So my point is- What allowed you to pull the trigger on that? uh, Oh, I just didn't care. First off, I just like, I watched him throw flat grounds every day. And I wanted to inspire some of the guys that I didn't think were maybe in the right spot uh, pitching wise. And I'm like, I wanted to show them that, hey, man, I will do anything to win if I think that a guy can do it. And I and this kid's name is Rigsby Mosley, legend here at Troy, all times doubles leader. I think he's second all time in hits. Um, really cool story. One of the probably one of their favorite players in the history of this program. But I'd watch him throw a flak around every day before practice, and he would always jokingly – because he had he pitched when he was in high school, and I think he pitched maybe his first fall when he got to college, which, like I said, six-year senior, which was probably like 2004. He's so old. Um, but I'd watch him every day, and one time I was sitting there, and it was like early February, and you know how it is in preseason scrimmages when you're a senior. And he was our starting center fielder, batted lead off for third. Like that's where we had him to start the year. He still led us in steals last year. He's 12 for 12. But um, I'm like, man, you know, I need to make sure Rigsby is properly motivated. And uh, I just went up to him about nine days before the season and said, hey, your flat ground looks pretty good. You've thrown three guys out at home. You want to come work with me on pitching? And he was like, don't mess with me like that. I go, no, no, no. I'll come come throw to me. And he threw a 15-pitch flat ground. I'll never forget. He missed one spot. He was like 14 of 15. I was like, man, that's pretty good. I said, you know what? I'll work with you again tomorrow. He was like, 
are you serious? I said, yes, I'll work with you again. So we did it for about a week. The week uh, we were starting our season, I let him get on the mound like two days before the season. Just I'm like, let's just see what it looks like. He was like 87, 88. The changeup had real feel. He didn't even know how to grab a breaking ball. I'm like, oh boy, let's see what we can do. And uh, anyways. Where'd you start with him on the breaking ball? uh, I said, grab the horseshoe, grab it tight, and just pull your middle finger through. Uh, Pray for the best. No, (laughs) no, but uh, I'll tell you, it was crazy. And it's one of those blessing in disguises. Our ninth game of the year last year, we were playing Alabama. And we were really sloppy in the middle of the game. So we got down like seven to one. And uh, I had given Rigsby a day where he was not playing. It was the first game he hadn't played during the year. He was just in a little funk. And I'm like, man, we're down seven to one. And you're never giving up on a game. But you're like, man, this might be the time. They got a lefty and righty coming up. So I I called down to the bullpen and I said, tell Rigsby he's going to go in. He's got two hitters. That's it. Tell him he has two guys, and we'll see what it looks like in a game. And as it goes, the first batter, his first three pitches were 90, 90, and 92. And he got a he got a line out, and then he struck a guy out on an 80 mile an hour changeup. And the rest was the rest was history. I started him uh, a week later. He went two innings, 24 pitches, four punch outs, and he set the doubles record in the same game. And we just built him. He went, you know, 10 pitches, 20. 25 30 35 48 and next thing you know like i said conference tournament seven two thirds just some of the most competitive baseball you've ever seen i mean it was it's a really cool story but it it resonates and it does mean something to our players because what you are at game 20 is which is where we are that's not where you're going to be at game 56 Um, and you have to understand that you have to believe that and you have to work like that if you don't work it will not happen for you. The game does not reward those who do not devote themselves to it. So um, we try to echo that all the time. And, and those who can rise up will, and those who don't, it means they didn't dedicate themselves hard enough. Do you have a fail forward moment? Do you have something you thought was going to sidetrack you, but looking back now was maybe one of the best things that happened to you? Um, I know with your mentality, you probably don't view it that way, but you know, the, the, the thing I like asking that because I think it just shows successful people have a different perspective on failure than non-successful people. I won't, I won't, I won't say the job, but I, I will, I will, I'll give you everything. But I, there was a job in 2014. I thought I was, I was getting, okay. It was actually put out on Twitter. I'd gotten a, a, a job and I did not get the job, but I really wanted it. And I, I loved my time at middle Tennessee. It was nothing on middle Tennessee. It was just a great opportunity. And I, thought I had it. And, and I remember I didn't. And uh, it was a tough pill to swallow. I mean, I can remember getting the call and it not being what I thought was going to happen. And I remember like kind of being blah for a day or two, which never happens for me. <laughs> it doesn't. And I remember being like, what in the world? Like, I didn't know I wanted that that bad. But w- why? I have a great job. I work for the best human in the world. Great program. They love baseball. What am I doing? I'm Okay. And just by happenstance, I I remember I was tracking four kids uh, in Cleveland, Ohio, Uh, the old, uh, what is it? The NABC World Series up in, was it Euclid, Cleveland area? And uh, I was staying with Jeff. Oh yeah. 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 So I was, uh, I was staying with Jeff Duncan uh, at his house. And uh, I just remember 
Um, I remember getting a call from Jake Boss, whose number I did not have, I did not know. And uh, I remember the first call, it was kind of a funny deal because I just just listened and I didn't know anything. I didn't think anything about Michigan State. I just didn't know what Michigan State was. I didn't have the, the proper respect for Michigan State. And, and I don't mean that like bad. I just, I was like, I wasn't in that, that headspace. And you asked about my wife and I just remember my wife going, why, why are you, why are you being this way? I said, what? She goes, do you not know what's going on there? Do you not know how successful they've been? Do you not know how great Jake Boss is? Do you not realize how much Big Ten money's going in? Like, you should at least listen. And I was like, well, yeah, but I, you know, I was just, and I didn't, and I had never been that way. And, I, you know, I listened a little bit closer. I opened my mind up and um, I don't think, the things that had happened, you, you asked the question like about favorite spots and I don't have a favorite spot, but I think Michigan state and being in the big 10 and, and doing the things that we did during our time, I don't think any of these things happened. I think that was the right step for me uh, as a coach, you know, you hate it when you, when you move on and, and players are, you know, still at places and you love those players and you miss like the interactions with them. But at the same time, when an opportunity is great, just as in life, like things do happen. And kids so, get it too. I mean, they're, they get it. Like players get it. Like they understand. Absolutely. They, they absolutely. And so, but I remember having no, um, no want and in, in thinking about anything other than where I was at. And, and then having my mind reopened by whether it was friends or my wife at the time, I remember that is one of those few moments in my life where I was in it, not in my normal headspace and maybe being called on that was probably a good thing. Cause you just don't really realize that you're doing it. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. We all have moments in, in our uh, careers, whatever we do, where you, you go, Oh, I wish I did this. I can't believe I called this. Like, I mean, we all do that. It wouldn't be human nature. I'm not, I don't have the ego to say that every, every decision I've ever made is the right call you know um but at the same time like you have to have people in your circle that'll at least go hey why don't you look at this from a different lens um so i think that's that was probably certainly one for me are you still doing hit hit workouts oh yeah oh yeah so you're still at it huh i'm getting too oh, old yeah. i can't <laughs> too I, many reps uh... I'm, I'm still trying to i the one thing i've started to do a little bit more i, I get on the peloton that thing's addicting. I got two uh, friends from high school. They love it. Oh, they, it's great. They love it. But no, I still try to get after it. I'm, I'm just trying to make sure I look better than Coach Wolgamon on my staff. That's the key. <laughs> it's not that hard to do. <laughs> All right, what are some final thoughts before I let you go? I do appreciate you jumping on a Monday with me. I know these are like put out fire days for, for you all, so I do appreciate you jumping oh, on, shoot. on with me. Well, you know what's funny, and I know we joked a little bit before, but I think when you get on and you talk shop with friends on things like this and, you know, and I'm sure people will watch this and they'll obviously know that we've known each other for a long time. But when you just, when you just talk and you put perspective to things, I think what you forget, and it goes back to the Dan McDonald 2007 talk that I was sort of referring to in the end, all that we're doing, it's all about people. All we're doing is connecting. Yes. We're, we're fortunate. We have the um, umbrella of baseball that connects us, but the reality is, everything we're doing is just people. It's, it's all interpersonal. And so, um, you know, getting on here and like talking shop, like it's, it's essentially like therapeutic, right? You talked about shrinking, like in, in our world, our, our, uh, our Harrison Ford or, you know, Jason Segal like that, that's other 
that's other coaches, that's other friends, that's other mentors or people that you talk to. And so, um, I was, um, that's why I'm pumped that I got on here. Cause it's like, it's the mental reset that you need on a Monday morning when you, when you go, Hey man, last week wasn't good, but you know what this week or this next day is going to be awesome. And the next day is going to be awesome. And, and you're going to laugh about the things that you thought were a big deal yeah. that really weren't. All right, Scott, I appreciate your time. Always great seeing you. Tell Ben I said, what's up. So good luck uh, for the rest of the year. I most certainly will. Thanks so much for having me on, man. Always fun for me to have a longtime friend on the podcast great reminder of how small the baseball community is best of luck to Skyler and Troy baseball the rest of the way out thanks again to Jim Richardson John Litchfield Zach Hale and Matt West and the ABC office for all the help on the podcast feel free to reach out to me via email rbrownley at abca.org twitter instagram and tiktok at coach b underscore abca or direct message me via the my ABCA app this is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association thanks and leave it better for those behind you Free